Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. So first of all, thank you for all the messages about the last couple of podcasts and my conversations with Tom Goodwin and Jennifer Moss. Had loads of great feedback about both of those um, two really fantastic guests and you know, a good example about why I started this podcast and why I continue to do it. We've got wide-ranging conversations touching on many of the areas that interest me, but obviously interest lots of you who are listening to. So as ever, I really appreciate the feedback. Also, I'd love it if you could do some feedback in the form of a rating, which you can do on each of your podcast players of choice. Now on to today's show, I've got a really excellent guest. It's another person that I've met through LinkedIn. So Marcus Mossberger and I, to be honest, I can't even remember how we got in touch, but we've been connected for about a year and a half now. We intermittently have chats online and we've met in person for lunch. He's a lovely guy. He's really switched on to do with everything future of work. And that's his job. He's the future of work strategist at the tech firm Infor. So when I was talking to Marcus a few weeks ago, discussing what we normally do, really, a wide ranging conversation about all manner of themes, I said, you know what, we should just press record on this next time, which is exactly what we did a couple of weeks ago. So in this show, we talk about various things related to technology and humanity at work. And that's an interesting frame because we get into generative AI, we get into the possibilities of technology driving business, but we also discuss why none of that matters unless it makes a real difference to people. So I'll let you listen to this conversation. We'd love to hear feedback about this as well. Here's my conversation with Marcus Mossberger. So Marcus, tell me what you've been reading about over the past couple of weeks. What's, what's caught your interest more than anything else? Uh, you know, it, it's funny, Ollie. I, I think the way that I would describe it is, and I, I'm stealing this from somebody else. I may be stealing this from you. I steal a lot from you. <laughs> but um, what I've been trying to focus on are two things, the timely and the timeless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so timely, you know, just tons being said about generative AI and how it is going to change everything. And I've heard people talk about the fact that every single job on the planet will be impacted to some degree. Very few jobs will actually go away. Um, So that's the, you know, the, the, the timely, the timeless. um, I just finished my um, postgraduate program at the university of Sussex on the psychology of kindness and well-being at work. Mm. Um, and, and again, those are timeless things that we want to understand about why people work, um, seeking meaning in the workplace, wanting to feel valued, needing um, good relationships. So I, I try to, to read both, right? Like things that just are universal truths that aren't going anywhere, but also recognizing how much the world is changing around us. Yeah. Let's start with the universal truths. And then we maybe could apply some of the, uh, the the latest technology, perhaps, in thinking about how we can improve upon the universal truths or and making them more accessible to everybody. So tell me about the course. What were the biggest insights you've had from doing it? Yeah, you know, well, the funny thing is the timely and the timeless are related, right? Um, because if you think about it, the more that we can leverage technology to handle the administrative transactional manual things that most of us don't want to do to begin with, the more we can actually focus on the more human elements of the workplace. 
But the big thing, you know, in this particular course, again, it was four different classes. I literally just handed in my last paper last Friday, which was a specific intervention for nurse managers in healthcare, mm. right? So recognizing how challenging the nursing role is. Then you've got nursing managers who are responsible and tasked with supervising um, what's usually a span of control of completely bananas proportions of like 50 to 100 people. Um, many of times they're not given any kind of, you know, formal training, education or, or resources and, yep. and then expected to not only provide direct patient care themselves, but also care for other people. And so, um, you know, the big thing, the big focus for me in that particular paper was how do we care for the caregivers, right? And so, but the, the whole class, it's all been about well-being and it's not just professional well-being, it's um, physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, it's financial. And I think historically we've attempted to separate, you know, those elements of our lives at work. And the reality is we bring them all to work, um, especially when we're working from home, right? Um, and so just recognizing the need and the opportunity and the fact that that line that previously people were reluctant to cross has really moved. Um, now, again, what each organization or individual is comfortable with is very different from one to the next, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, two things. One, you won't be surprised for me to say that I agree with you, particularly in trying to find a better way for work and life to come together. And and also mm. just accepting that's the case. I mean, look, I get it. I've said this plenty of times. When you have unrealistic expectations on people or leadership don't necessarily have the skills or haven't been proactive enough in communicating that it's okay to switch off at certain times that you shouldn't let certain tasks bleed into the moments that you have at home with your family or that you're trying to unwind they're the exceptions but generally having a proactive and realistic approach about the reality of life and work having to fit together is just makes sense it seems crazy that we would try to separate it it's just completely unrealistic that we'd be able to do that the second point it's really interesting that nursing example because clearly everything tells us that burnout is on the rise across mm. the workforce and i think people have just got burnout all wrong for a start burnout isn't just about physical exhaustion although that's a component it's also manifests in you know, cynicism about your work, not uh -huh. feeling like you're performing at your best. But what's really interesting is who suffers from it. And you might expect that people in professions in which you're following your passion and have a real sense of purpose are less likely to experience burnout. And actually the opposite is true. Nursing is one of those professions in which burnout is index is higher than across other jobs and it's often because people are so passionate about it that they go that bit further and it can just grind you down so interesting to hear that well-being among that cohort and particularly around management of that cohort is something you've been focused on oh yeah and you're so right too ollie I, so I, i've talked to you know nursing leaders in the u.s one in particular you know said to me recently you know, when the pandemic really got, you know, underway, we in the nursing community, our lives went completely bananas, both at home and at work. And so mm. it was pure chaos for both. So she's like, 
I need you as a technology vendor to help me with both my professional life and my personal life, which was the first time I'd ever had somebody actually ask for that. And then when I was talking to some nursing leaders over here, in in fact, I think I read it somewhere. um, The NHS folks in particular were like, we are broke and we are broken. That's not a good combo. Um, And I heard I heard another one say, um, I think this was back in the U.S., you know, nursing used to be a calling and it's become a job. And that's not a good thing. Right. So um, but I think you're right about, you know, the fact that you see people in these um, professions where, where they're genuinely, authentically passionate about them. It can be work. Burnout can be worse because they yeah. will allow themselves to go farther because of the intrinsic meaning associated with the work that's being done. And then they've gone too far. Yeah, 100%. So that's what you've been doing as part of the uh, course, which sounds really interesting. Well, let's go to the timely end, though. So, yeah, I know you've been to quite a few conferences recently, and generative AI is on everybody's minds, of course. It is. But maybe let, let's focus on a few different examples of the conferences you've been to. And perhaps I'm interested in understanding how people are thinking about it. Is it the conversation that happens over a coffee between sessions, or is it? that within those sessions, people are putting it front and center. Yeah, you know, we're such early days, right, Ollie? I mean, I think that most of the use cases um, for a lot of AI, including generative AI, are still associated with recruiting, right? Um, And how to, you know, make the recruiting process more efficient, uh, how to make recruiters more efficient, how to give the candidate a better experience um, in that interaction um, to, to go quicker. Um, so that's the, the piece that's probably the most mature, where I think um, you, we're going to start to see a lot more investment in the next few years. Uh, you know, remember, I'm a, a former HR practitioner, and so I love digging into these technologies that would have made my life a lot better and easier back then. And I think back to my days in HR, and I was constantly getting, you know, barraged with questions and requests. And I would say 80 to 90 percent of them these people could have gotten the answer on their own or gotten their an answer with a little bit of help and understanding of the context of the question or request. And that's the potential and the promise of generative AI is for HR to give the ability to frontline managers, frontline employees to ask or request a wide variety of things and get a very accurate response. And what happens then is I'm not sitting here answering emails or phone calls or texts on things that just aren't adding any value. Yeah. And and that's where I think there's a, a huge opportunity. And then like the the more distant I was reading about an, another, you know, future of work type of person that was talking about payroll. And she was like, when will AI do payroll for us? Like, doesn't that just make sense? Why would you have, you know, people you know, manually doing payroll when the technology, you would be like, well, I'm assuming that the technology understands that I had this shift differential for that last shift and that I'm already in overtime. And can't all this just be plugged in? Why would you have a human being do this stuff? It was funny. I read it and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're so right. Like, why wouldn't you want AI be doing your payroll for you? Yeah. Yeah, there's loads of applications like that, aren't there? Just in, and as you said at the beginning, there's the 
it's those processes which require less human skill and less human judgment or empathy all of those things and because of course though there are many aspects of hr and leadership and management which do require those human things yeah and the, the point is that many leaders and managers are going back to burnt out many of them are very short on time and it's because they're burdened often with admin as much as actual human people leadership type activities so for me where we're seeing applications of it and utility of it right now is more of an individual level you can completely mm. see how individuals using chat gpt to do their jobs can help save themselves time from what i'm seeing so far organizations or certainly at an organizational level people are struggling to think about how to actually apply it at scale and look it's early days right so yeah okay People have been playing around with machine learning in applicant tracking and applicant processing and even to an extent in the interview process, there's mm -hmm. parts of it now which are being automated. Um, so that's been happening for a little while. That makes sense. But when it comes to management, I'm not sure people really understand how, how it will be used yet. I wonder if there's also a bit of reluctance knowing that some of the examples you just gave on the recruiting side Legality is a bit of an issue, right? Because um, that's something that, again, I've been to a couple of events recently and heard from some lawyers about how the fact that it's kind of the wild, wild west out there relative to not having a lot of legislation yet um, to you know, understand as an organization, what am I liable for relative to embracing some of these new technologies that end up maybe um, having inherent bias in them? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny too, um, the whole you mentioned time right and that's really at the individual level what we're going for is is time savings which you know time's the most valuable commodity on the planet that's certainly mm -hmm. a good thing what i i find fascinating is when i talk to hr professionals and i don't mean to make generalizations but i will some <laughs> of the more tenured hr professionals will put it politely um, are reluctant to embrace some of this technology in, in that the way that they frame it to me is, well, it's so impersonal to say, Ollie, look, just pick up your phone and use this new chat GPT capability to ask um, any questions you have, but don't bother me. And that's not the point, right? They're missing the point. The, 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 the reality is the next generation doesn't want to call somebody and ask a question. They want to get the answer on their own. They want it to be quick and easy. And on their mobile device, they need you as an HR professional when there's a really difficult, complex topic that needs a human to interact with. So this, it's so counterintuitive that technology is actually going to give us a more human experience at work when we fully embrace it. And some people, I guess they don't see that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, let, let, let's use an example. So the Gallup engagement uh, survey data came out a couple of weeks ago, and there's like loads of interesting stuff in there. But the, the thing which I'm always fascinated about the some of the key questions which tend to determine whether someone is engaged or not. And engaged is one of those very kind of worky words. You know, what, <laughs> what do we mean by engaged? What we, we generally mean, do people care about their jobs? Do they find meaning in their jobs? Do they feel valued? Do they feel like the, the work that they're doing is being noticed and that they feel like they can progress? That, that's probably more real language to use. But 
this it's pretty basic stuff often which be and, and i've referenced some of them there which determine whether people do feel engaged and this statements like i understand the value of the work that i'm doing or i understand mm. what's expected of me or i feel that my work is being recognized and i think there's ways that we can use technology as you say to increase the humanity of it because one of the key factors very often which people uh, found to determine whether people do feel engaged is how frequently their direct manager their line manager has catch-ups with them so if you have a meaningful one-to-one with a member of your team once per week that's a really good sign that as a whole your team will be more engaged and again, mm. these are all generalizations, but that general trend is true, right? And we're not talking about a one hour one to one. We're no. talking about check ins, which go beyond just have you done your work today, right? And the point is, many managers, many leaders feel unable to do that because of the time constraints. And as we said, if we can unlock some of that time by automating some of the processes and leveraging um, AI to be able to give information to people which would otherwise be having to be done manually by their manager, that frees up time to have that meaningful interaction. That's right. And, and then the technology itself can actually enable that interaction to be more efficient and effective. So that's, again, one of the things that we do, um, the company that I work for and for you know, we've got a wide range of HR um, offerings, and, and one is what we call continuous performance engagement. So if you and I were having a one-on-one -on -one and I reported to you, you could pull out your mobile device and we would have a very quick conversation to check in on how things are going. You take a few notes, boom, put it down. And what happens then is that information gets aggregated over time, right? So that you have access to that. You don't have to remember the conversation that you and I had on July 5th. And same thing with things like reward and recognition. You make it super easy. We have like this rave. So literally I can pull this out again. If, if you reported to me and I can say, Ollie, great job during our conversation today, really enjoyed it. And it goes to you and it goes to, you know, if you have a different direct manager or it goes to some, and it, again, it gets saved so that we can refer back to this information later on. So again, the, the technology frees us up to have these conversations. The technology allows us to track and manage them more efficiently. And again, those are like tangible examples of, of how it can actually make our lives more human. So really interested in this. Now, these tools are available. How many businesses, how many people are actually using this to, in order to, to achieve these outcomes that we both desire? This sounds brilliant, but is the truth that most companies actually don't do this stuff. Yeah, you're right. And again, what we find is I'm trying not to make generalizations about the generations, but the, the younger generations are much more apt to adopt this type of technology because they don't have a, a you know bad habits that they've picked up on or a traditional way of doing things. They're new to the workforce. They're like, oh, great. This is a good way for me to have a chance to connect with my direct manager. So they're much more apt to, to immediately embrace it. Whereas, you know, the older generations, it might take a little bit more time. But at the end of the day, it's adoption that is the challenge with technology. And, you know, people refer to it as change management. I actually don't like that term. I like the term change enablement. We shouldn't probably be trying to manage the change. Let's enable the change to happen and empower people to make that change themselves 
um, it, and you'll have a lot more success. But that is, I mean, and it's funny when we do we do implementations of technology all the time. It's the change enablement and the services associated with the implementation that really reflect whether or not it's successful and people actually use it in the organization. Mm. So you're having those conversations with the teams that might want to enable change. What are the biggest pain points which actually make them press the button? Because again, we all understand theoretically that these technologies, these systems can help in the ways we describe. Well, you know, if you think about it a little bit, it's not that difficult to see that it could help. But as we've said, far fewer organizations are doing this than they should what are the things which make people press the button is it we're losing people because we haven't got the right systems in place is it we're losing people because they're burning out or is it that performance just isn't good enough and it's the bottom line's most important so we just have to do something about it and this seems like a decent option you know what, what sort of reasons do people typically give yeah i mean it's i would i would point out three number one it's the next generation expecting it Right. Like, hey, you don't have that. Uh, I'm not going to come or I'm not going to stay. Number two would be the pandemic effect. Right. Just this recognition that maybe the way we've been doing things isn't going to be good enough in the future. So there's a bit more of an embracing of new technologies. People, everybody said, hey, you can't do that job from home. And then all of a sudden we had to like even in nursing, virtual nursing, Ollie, totally taking off. And it's not yeah. like, you know, it, that's happening relative to people only having a virtual nurse, they're supplementing the nurses on site in acute care settings and mm. doing a lot of work that those nurses now don't have to do. Um, so that's two. And then the third is really just the, you know, in the States, I would refer to it as um, we all listen to the same radio station called WIIFM, right? What's in it for me? Uh, so if, if they recognize and understand that there's value to them to hitting that button, then that's the key. But that is a challenge because it's funny, there's a bit of a perception, especially for frontline managers coming from HR, where HR is like, hey, we're going to give you all these self-service tools. Or I've heard recently referred to not, don't call it self-service, call it direct access. Ollie, we're going to give you direct access to all of this. And then the frontline managers are like, wait, am I just like doing more of your work for you? Like, so (laughs) selling, it's not always easy, is it? No, exactly, exactly. One other subject to that I do want to touch on because I know you mentioned this last time we chatted, and I thought it'd be interesting to see whether you delved into it some more. And it's a bit, it's a big issue, so we're not going to cover everything now. But I um, spoke at the Velocity event recently. Yeah. Um, Jeff Schwartz was one of the speakers there, who's recently written a book about workforce ecosystems. And I know that you had that on your desk last time we spoke. That's so right. I'm interested um, in how you've been thinking about workforce ecosystems. Again, Infor will inevitably be working with many organizations in which the complexity of their workforce has increased. And you know what, what I'm talking about here when we're describing a workforce ecosystem is it's no longer the case that organizations just have 100% employees and they no longer even just have a bunch of employees plus a load of contractors, which has been pretty common for a while. Actually, the ecosystem around that workforce is changing. You've got all sorts of shapes and 
sizes and flavors of worker, be it outsourced agencies, be it outsourced consultancies, be it crowd teams that you might put a brief out in order to crowdsource ideas. So they're complex and I know you're interested in it. So tell me what you've been thinking about that since we spoke last. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. So um, I literally just put a post out there today on um, my newsletter, uh, my fortnightly, as you would call it, newsletter. And I'm actually moving back to the U.S. in the fall. And I was like, I just want to put some observations out there about what it was like to work over here in the U.K. versus the U.S. And one of the things I pointed out that I think the, the UK and EMEA in general, this region has a potential advantage over the US related to the workforce ecosystems is the fact that in the US, in order to get medical health benefits, you've got to work full time, at least 30 hours for your employer. Mm. And what's going to happen is there's, there's, there's already this embracing of gig work and side hustles, and I'm going to work several jobs, maybe three or four and over here, you don't have to worry about whether or not you can get medical coverage because you have it. Whereas in the U.S., I think that's going to prohibit a lot of people from embracing the gig economy because I've got to work at least 30 hours for one of those employers in order to get medical. So I just think it comes back to what you described earlier. Right now, things like chat GPT at the individual level, we're seeing value or testing it out at the organizational level there's still questions. I think the same holds true with, with this workforce ecosystems. At the individual level, a lot of people are taking advantage of it, maybe sometimes unbeknownst to their employer and participating in a variety of roles. Whereas organizationally, we haven't figured out how in the world do you manage a workforce that's not your own? Mm. Yeah. Well, that's why Jeff and his co-authors describe orchestration as a better way, just like you use enablement rather than management. I think in this case, orchestration is a far better way of describing it. Well, look, Marcus, we've just scraped the surface. I think we need to just do this regularly, don't we? It's, um, I think we should. How, how should we describe it? It's like a shoot the shit episode of uh, Future <laughs> Right Now. Love it. Love <laughs> well, it. Thanks. Cheers, man. All right. Take care. So thanks to Marcus for joining me on the show. As I said at the end, I'm sure we'll do this again. And actually, we've got a very similar conversation for you next week. So make sure you tune in again then. In the meantime, have a good one.